be time for a, uh, a wizard sleeve today. <laughs> I'll get two we'll wizard sleeves get takeaway. The uh, Urban Dictionary out and Google that one. <laughs> Flight mode. Here we are under the bar podcast. My name is Tom Hewitt. With me, as always, is Rawdon Dubois. Hello, Rawdon. The Dubois method. This is very exciting. I'm excited for you, the listener, mm. and particularly if you have. I thought you were going to say you're excited for me. Any interest in strength and conditioning? I know there's a couple of uh, strength and conditioning coaches out there that I'm thinking of right now that mm. I know listen to the podcast. It, they are going to love mm. this episode. Mm. And I really know you meant that because you squinted when you yes. said it. You said, it's really love, and the eyes sort of went really squinty. So I know you really meant that. So our our, our guest on the show today, Rory. It's a bit of a dark horse, this one. Absolutely. Ian Danny. Mm. Um, Danny boy. You may not have heard of him. You probably haven't heard of him. If you Google him, there's not... He's under the radar. There's not an abundance. Mm. He is literally one of these guys who is just balls deep in the trenches, mm. working with the world's mm. best, most freakish athletes mm. in his custom-built super center <laughs> with a sprint track out the back mm. and mm. IV rooms mm. and therapy Supplements. rooms. Supplements. Everything. He's a biochemist. He cooks up his own supplements. He's mm. got the whole package done, mm. and he's just busy doing the work yeah. it was such a pleasure this interview i mean i love uh, some of the interviews we've done with broderick chavez rawdon talking about periodization and and pharmacology and all that kind of stuff have been so enjoyable for me to do and to listen back to hmm. this was one of the most enjoyable interviews that we've done in a very long time jam-packed yeah. and he's uh he's from uh, a performance he's a bob slayer <laughs> Bob Slayer background. So yes. he's an Olympian? Or, or yes. Yeah, I think he went to the Olympics. Wasn't quick enough or, or something. Very good sprinter. Good. No, that's right, that's right. Yes. But not quite. A, couldn't quite cut it as a 100 metre or the, sprinter. I think the starting speed was mm. there, but mm. the top speed maybe mm. not. Top end. And so he got he got recruited into Bob Slay mm. uh, <laughs> to be utilised, um, obviously the speed to be utilised. Yes. And at the time, Charles Poliquin was the strength coach for mm. the uh, bobsleigh. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the bobsleigh team. Bobsleigh team. And, uh, and, and that's was, where it all began. And uh, I think, uh, he, he, he will read this, but I recall him, uh, he was a, quite a lightweight, but but set some crazy numbers in the squad and actually mm. got uh, Charles's, you know, he raised an eyebrow. I don't know who was that? With yeah. the, all the testing that they were doing uh, yes. pre-season or something. Yes. And, uh yeah, I can imagine Charles being impressed by uh, by his performance. But uh, yeah, it was it was absolutely awesome this interview. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, sometimes Rodden, we like to pick a topic or something that was brought up in the interview and, and unpack it a little bit at the start. But there's just so much stuff. I'm just yeah. going to rattle off some of the cool stuff yep. that he's going to go through in this Shoot. interview. 
Right. Uh, okay, where to start here? Where to start? What's a good one? Just go balls deep. Okay, well, look, I think get in. one of the original concepts that he brings up is just how he likes to eliminate the hurdles for his mm-hmm. athletes and allow them to express their natural genetic abilities. Mm. He'll unpack that more, but that's key. Mm-hmm. The the focus on the basics. He stresses yes. He stresses how much he likes to drill the basics in and get them done. Mm. The nature of overtraining and from a performance perspective, minimum effective dose. He brings up a great analogy between drugs and training. He makes a distinction between training and exercise and then compares drugs to training. You're looking for the minimum effective dose, dose yeah. for the result. Yeah. He talks about periodization. He talks about the adaptation of the organism. Uh-huh. I love it how he... Touch lo- of the broads. Touch of the broads. Looks uh-huh. at the athlete as an organism and, and uh-huh. what stimulus... To force an adaptation you know if it's a neural thing then minimum effective dose if you're mm-hmm. looking for plastic changes to the physiology then you've got to break down some some tissue to force metabolic adaptation yeah great stuff um, and he was talking about with the periodization transitioning phases and, and there were touches of things we've heard broads it was it was like oh well if it's if it's close to broads this guy must know his stuff know exactly he's what he's money. on about it's really really good at the end of it he talks well and we have a whole section on nutrition and, yep. and his approach towards nutrition interesting very interesting. interesting different to what broads would do actually Quite well com- the polar opposite polar opposite but the way he explained it had perfect merit and we, it was interesting i don't know if you felt that but it, it came back to maybe some of our philosophies of yesteryear but mm. it was like yeah, that's yeah. I used to, to do, do that. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes yeah, a lot I like of sense. It. And and his chosen demographic, it makes perfect sense. He, he'll like you say unpack it some more. But I thought that yeah. was quite refreshing to have a different perspective and hearing the from from both almost both extremities. Yes, uh, what you can do with nutrition. Uh, really exciting. Uh, the intra workout stuff is is great. So this guy obviously biochemistry background mm. makes his own supplements. He's mm. got a website optimum EFX. optimum efx. Yeah, and he's got a range of uh, performance supplements there Rodan I think we might give a few of these a bit of a test but Mm. the uh, the intra workout formula that he uses with his athletes is uh, very interesting very interesting and we won't give the numbers away we'll let him talk about it when he gets to it we won't give the numbers away but but what I found uh, touch of the poliquins maybe yes but uh, chicken or the egg who came who was doing this stuff for because he's 50 he's not young yeah and uh, the emphasis put on the influence of intra-supplementation was fascinating. And he unpacked it. He explained why different things he's doing from, I think he mentioned protein synthesis in there and maximizing this and that and having all the all the, the bells and whistles in his intra-formula. But uh, we really haven't had anyone on the program of late that uh, went back into that. This is a crucial time for supplementation and if you get it right it can have it, it can have a, a big impact uh, yes. henceforth so yes. it was uh, I <laughs> since I listened to this I went back got my scoops me you know, too me, you know a little bit of this a little bit of throw a bit of that in and absolutely um, it inspired me to to I guess give some thought to intra supplementation rather than just dismiss it because obviously the, the general sweeping statement for everyone no okay probably eat beforehand eat, eat after you're going to be yeah. hyperamino acid you'll be there you'll be fine but let's let's take you out of that environment now you're prepping like what he's doing working with elite 
uh, NFL professionals, okay, what can we do to give us a slight edge? And it's just a bee's dick of an edge, but, mm. you know, it's like, oh, well, more, all my guys are coming in close to show the six weeks out. Maybe there is some merit in this. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really. It brought me back it, to the John Meadows interview when he yeah. was saying, you know, that, that one time you can control what's yes, coming in and out yes. of the muscle is when you're training. And touch of the Milo Sanchez as well. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, lots of interviews we've done previously. We might actually might have to go back and listen to a few of those. Maybe we've Absolutely. had some good guests on. Yeah, mm. yeah, we should do that. So, look, that's. That's just some of the stuff yeah, that you're we going could go to. On. We could go on that you're going to get out of this interview. One of the best that we've done on uh, sports performance. Mm. He does talk at the end about the options for um, mentoring. Or, yeah, and you know, uh, internships. I think you can hit him up, and if he if he deems you worthy, yeah. he will let you come in and do some sort of. I think you just sort of tag along and yeah. he's like that purpose built facility you mentioned. So yeah. that would be not I mean, something even, that he advertises, but if you if you but I, approach I, him, and I think you even. That was something that mm, that would well, be. It would be amazing. Would be yeah, amazing. It would be five amazing. Five days over in because uh, he's down in Arizona. Yeah, be really beautiful. Great. Yeah, twenty uh, twenty. So, Ian, Danny, strap yourself in, pen and pads out, and uh, really enjoy yourselves. Well, Rodan, if you started off as a strength coach and you were working with high performance athletes and you envisioned a dream of where you might want to be you know have your own facility with a speed track out the back and Uh and, you know have an iv drip and your own lab where you could cook up your own supplements and Uh a team of experts working with you it's it is the it's the thing that would be the ultimate dream as a strength coach and our next guest has done uh, exactly that it's pretty exciting yeah i mean that's uh, i think there's a lot in the industry that that, uh, that's that uh the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. The but dangling the, the, carrot. The dangling carrot, but there's not most of us don't end up there. So really excited for this interview today, Tom. So joining us, we have Ian Danny. He has uh, the Danny Center in Arizona. And we'll just get him to talk more about it. Ian, yeah. thank you so much for your time and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. right. Well, we, we sort of got a bit ahead of ourselves before we uh, did the official intro there, didn't we, Tommy? We, we did. actually uh, we got it was really interesting content, so we was, we kept asking questions. But where do you want to go, Tommy? You want to visit back there, or I think before let's just set the scene a little bit, Ian. If you could, because uh, you were an Olympic athlete in your own right, uh, you worked with Charles Poliquin back in the day. So maybe if you could give us and the listener a bit of a, an overview of your career and your your qualities as an athlete, your time with. Poliquin and and how you decided to become a coach and start your own center. Well, there's a lot to unpack in that. Okay, so I was a, uh, I was an Olympic bobsledder, and like a lot of Olympic bobsledders, I was a, a failed sprinter. So I was uh, fast, but not fast enough to be an Olympic sprinter. And um, I had a body type that uh, I guess they thought I could gain weight. I was a relatively pretty strong guy, so all those things uh, positioned me to to do well in the sport of bobsleigh. And I got recruited, started doing that, uh, and one thing led to the other, and uh, I had a, a good four-year run doing that. And then as far as training and coaching athletes, uh, I coached a lot of track and field athletes, and some pretty good track and field athletes, and transitioned that to doing you know, a lot of speed work and strength conditioning work. And, you know, I didn't – I kind of accidentally fell into this whole thing. I've really never done anything else in my life other than be an athlete and train athletes. And um, basically, uh, you know, results leave clues. And I, I just did a, did some good work with some people, and they told someone else, and one person told the next, and kind of had uh, just this approach of if I could just do the best I could for 
the athlete that was in front of me at that time and put my everything into them, that they would get results and that would speak for itself and tell the next person and move on. And that's sort of how my business grew over the years. And uh, I still try to do that today. I know it's kind of, it's a lot different now with the instant information and the, the social media age and stuff, but I'm kind of like an old school guy that still uh, does everything individualized and just keeps focusing the one guy that's in front of me at the time and try to encourage my team as I build it to do the same type of a thing. And um, that's uh, kind of how uh, the center grew and developed. And uh, we are where we are now. And um, Pollockham was in there somewhere. Um, oh, yeah. We, so uh, I met Charles. Charles was uh, the strength coach of the Canadian bobsleigh team. Yeah. And so uh, this is actually a funny story how Charles and I met. So I went to Calgary on a – it was kind of a recruiting trip slash kind of feel things out and get ready for bobsleigh. And on the night before we were supposed to go do some stuff, uh, Pierre Ludwig is who was recruiting me. So we went over to Charles' house and we're sitting around talking about a lot of things. And it was me and another guy that uh, they were kind of recruiting for the team at that time. And uh, we just started talking about things. And, of course, I knew who he was. And we, we sort of hit it off with a lot of things we were talking about right away. So the next day, I thought we were going to some routine kind of orientation type stuff. Well, it turns out that it was a full-blown testing that they threw at us. And so um, part of the testing that they did was uh, on that day, they used a back squat, which normally would not be be a front squat. But it was just exactly like how Charles would do it, you know, 301 tempo, you know, ass to the grass type squat. And um, at the time, I was quite light. I was only – about 175 pounds, um, you know, about 80 kilos. And, um, you know, no belt, no wraps, no anything. That's sort of the way the rules were. I, uh, I back squatted 227.5, so 500 pounds that day. And um, Charles had left to go way to Montreal to do some other stuff. So they faxed him the results of all the testing. And uh, so he called back, I guess, and said, hey, was it the little skinny black guy that squatted that or the big <laughs> other dude? And they said, no, it's the little skinny black guy. So he said, give me his number. And then he called me. Hmm. We just started talking and working from there. And um, he just kind of uh, took me under his wing from that point. And from there, we, we just grew together in a lot of ways. Hmm. And uh, I think the big thing he helped me with right away is he um, he basically convinced me and got me to do a lot more exercise variety. And he got me to do a lot more uh, time under tension work because at that point in time, I was like, squat, 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 you know, do some Olympic lifts. You didn't do anything else for training. And uh, he changed a lot of that with me and helped a lot. And also, I used to hate the pump. Like, it was just the worst feeling in the world. I I couldn't understand why people liked it. But um, with some of the training, the way we changed some training and, and some of the rest intervals and some of the time under tension principles, um, obviously I started getting uh, a lot of pumps during some of these workouts and, but I made gains in areas that I hadn't made gains before in terms of being able to put on size. You know, prior to that, I just always gotten stronger and stronger and not really been able to put size on. And, and, um, and so funny because now like once it's funny, you take something that you hated, but then you do it and it, you, you get success from it. And now that same thing you hated is associated with success. You, you start to love it. Mm. <laughs> so fast forward, fast forward 20 years, it's like that. It just the mindset change of what's associated with that just 
totally changes your outlook on that part of training. But anyways, that's that's a whole aside. I kind of went off on a tangent. I was, but I hopefully that uh, tells you a little bit about uh, how I met Charles and how we got started together. Yeah, and and that that's so Charles. You know, like the I could imagine him just seeing the performance, and and that's enough for the connection. You know, yes, it's like yeah, yes. that you're okay. You 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 lift heavy. You're 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 one of my guys. You know, yeah. so that's uh, that's absolutely awesome. Yeah. Great guy. What about uh, what about now? Like in you, you know, you said you love the training. What's what's your training look like now? Are you still um, doing your time in the gym, chasing the chasing the burn, getting the pump these days, or is it uh, eased off a little? Uh, well, it's eased off a little. Uh, I guess for two reasons: one, my schedule, and two, my age. But um, yeah. I think uh, now it's it's totally different in training. There's, there's absolutely no performance requirement for me now. Right. So it's, it's total, it's health. And if I'm honest, it's some vanity too. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so I don't, I'm not killing myself with Olympic lifts like I used to do. Um, I don't, I'll squat for reps a lot more often than I'll squat heavy. It's, it's really about, uh, making the best gains I can, uh, while staying healthy. And, um, and just dealing with uh, some high levels of fatigue that I deal with at certain times of the year because it's, it's some of the work I do is very condensed through certain times of the year where you're absolutely crazy and then you have a slow period. So, um, but yeah, I, I still uh, I still try to get after it. Yeah, yeah, that's I think awesome. That will always and, be within you. And 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 your age now, if you don't mind me asking, I'm uh, <clears throat> my mid thirties myself. Uh, <laughs> like are you, uh, when you say your age and it's all getting a little hard. I turned are, fifty this year. Fifty, wow. Yeah. Because I've yeah. seen pics, you look in good shape, man. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah. Try it. We've got another five years yet. We'll see what I look like in five years. I mean, 15. 30, <laughs> yeah. 35 from 50. Yeah. Uh, 15 years. That's yeah, right, Tom. Yeah, very good, very good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, Ian, is the majority of your business, it seems to be working with uh, NFL athletes, but uh, is it the facility open to athletes one and all? Yep, it's open to athletes one and all. So we have uh, some hockey, some baseball uh, we still do some uh, more consulting to sort of the elite amateur people, um, but it, it is by far and away uh, football is the largest majority for sure. I think the NFL season is just about to start. Maybe even this is it this week it, it kicks off. Yeah, two days Thursday night. Thursday night, right? So you you probably have just been through the busiest period of your calendar. So you would have what, 20, 30, 40 blokes coming through. Spending uh, weeks at the facility in there every day with their own coach, working on whatever it is they've got to work on—is that sort of how how the operation goes? Yeah, so um, you're totally right. It, it was just the last busy period, and there were about forty people that came through. And so, yeah, we train everybody in a completely individualized manner here. So, if there's seven guys in your training, there's seven coaches with them, and um, we don't we don't have any form of group training. And every day is pretty much a new assessment come in, see what's going on that day. Obviously, programs are already written and prescribed, but they're very regularly modified based on kind of what's presented to us when an athlete walks in. And um, I, I just feel that that's, when you're at a high level, it's really the only way to go. Um, honestly, when you start dealing with athletes of a, of, a, of a high caliber, doing anything less of that is kind of a disservice to them, in my opinion. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And tell me, Ian, do they fill out an online application? This is what I'm interested in. These, are, this is my performance. Or do they? Does everyone 
come into the facility first up and there's a comprehensive uh, consultation, see where they're at? Is there lots of uh, testing there? Uh, how does that work to if, if someone was uh, initially uh, going to start? Uh, they have to come into the facility. Uh, we have to evaluate them, do complete assessments, determine whether or not we want to work with them and whether or not they're going to fit into the programs we want to do, see what their work ethic and their level of compliance is going to be like. Um, and truthfully, sometimes we get guys and after we tell them this is what's going to be demanded of you, they just say, hey, this is more than I bargained for. It's not really what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's essentially what happens because uh, one of the things that I try to do with these guys is just eliminate all of the hurdles and obstacles that are in the way. I just want to make everything easy. So whether that's meal prep and planning, whether that's getting all your supplements together and literally putting them out in individual little bags, so this one's breakfast, this one's lunch. I don't even ask these guys to say, you know, take take eight fish oils, take three of this, four of that, do it. We just package the whole thing up for them so we don't have to think about that. Or the training is obviously there, the therapy is prescribed. We do a lot of integrated therapy during the training. Um, so I try to basically control everything and uh, not in the sense of like taking away their freedoms, but just yeah. removing all the obstacles to, uh, to, to high performance, you know. And um, I think that's what the guys uh, really appreciate about it. Um, and it's a certain type of athlete who is dialed in and wants all these things uh, who comes to the center. It would seem to me like there's probably a lot of – athletes that come in and and if you could do nothing else but just take away the obstacles and allow the genetic potential that is within them to express itself then yeah that would be a massive win in its own right well that's absolutely right um especially with some of the type of guys that i deal with because you also have to understand here um i have no idea what you guys were doing at 23 or 24 but i was completely out of control yeah and i was i was dead broke some of these guys come in here with $30 million in their pocket at that age. Yeah. So you can imagine the discipline that it takes to be as dialed in as focused as we want them to be. Um, and all and how much just controlling their environment and giving them all the things that they need to make things simple is going to help that kind of a person. Mm. Um, so, yeah, for sure, you're exactly right. It's uh, that's the first thing we do is just eliminate those hurdles so they can move forward and then everything else builds on that. We did, this is probably a couple of years ago now, but we had Dr. Sonia Pedersen on the podcast. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you've come across her in your travels. I assume that She's you, a good friend of Poliquin. You, you may have. And she spent a fair bit of time with the uh, NFL athletes yeah, and was right. just talking about, you know, the the level of inflammation in their nutrition that they've grown up with, plus all the head knocks and the physical nature of what they're doing, like just keeping these guys, forming some sort of structure for them to operate effectively is is critical. Absolutely. Um, and yet they do have a lot of bad habits and they, they don't have good uh, systems in place with their teams or their college teams that they're coming out of to stress good nutrition habits them, they're very, very basic. I mean, you've got, I mean, they're, they're NFL strength coaches that are telling guys, if you, if you need to gain weight, eat cheesecake before you go to bed. And I mean, it's, it's out of control of some of the things that are happening. I'm not saying that's all of them, but uh, that they're, it's not a very well-structured program in terms of that. 
And then you have a lot of people who are coming from wide backgrounds. Many of them are impoverished backgrounds. So you have a lot of uh, a lot of bad habits that come. And then of course the sport is it's, it's really an overtraining sport. Once the season starts, it's just that's all it is. Mm. Who, who can survive that? And so you have all those components. And um, then of course you have some of the the party components and not getting arrested. There's just so many things going against them. And um, anything that you can do to support them, educate them, and put things in place for them to make good choices, it makes a big difference. And, and for me, um, as far as training goes, it doesn't matter who I train. Basics always trump everything. You have to have the basics dialed in. And I, the more and more I advance in my strength coaching career and I feel like I'm getting a better understanding of things, the more and more I realize that the basics are everything. And the what makes a strength coach really good, in my opinion, is being able to devise creative, impactful ways to keep people compliant with the very basics all the time. Because that once you get that done, 90% of your job is done. I mean, if you have an athlete who's sleeping right, who's eating right, who's taking care of their, their soft tissue work properly, and all these things, and they're doing the extras in terms of supplementation, and they're doing all these things right, you can make, you get so much more out of your protocols. I would rather take an athlete who has all the basics right and hand him to a coach who may not have the best protocols or the best knowledge to apply that as opposed to a, a, a strength coach who may be better at those things but doesn't understand the importance of the basics and doesn't have the ability to put the athlete in a place where he can be compliant with all those things. I just feel like the former uh, the, the, the former system is better. You just have to have all those bases covered and gains will come way faster than anything else. And a lot of strength coaches, they outsmart themselves as they get older or you get all this knowledge and you're just chasing down these rabbit yeah, holes yeah, yeah. and different techniques and things like that and that just makes you forget what really matters and so i am master of the basics and if i want to improve on something and something some new technique is out some new system it, it, it better be something that helps me enforce the basics better which is how i work and and tell me uh ian it it, it, it sounds um you know, having spent a lot of time with uh, Poliquin over the years, was that something that that he instilled in you from, I mean, you're talking about sleep and, uh, can, you know, nutrition and, and lifestyle, controlling stress, these types of things, the, the air quote basics. Is that something that, that Poliquin sort of uh, influenced uh, back in the day and it, and it grew from there? Yeah, I, I definitely think he was influenced in that area. But I also, from track and field, uh, that's a sport where um, it's so small changes are so minute. And if you're off by 1%, you're done. It's, you know, it, there's no real making up for anything. It's not like you can play a little better or your teammates can help you or you can get through this. You can influence other people and be a team leader. All, there's nothing. It's just you and the clock. And the difference between first and last is minute. So everything has to be on point. And what I saw with that is – People were getting so um, dialed into the nuances of different things yeah. and, and trying to be so perfect with things, but they were forgetting of the basics. And also, they didn't always have the resources available to them to really put the basics in place because of budgetary reasons and other things. And I just saw that 
when I was able to uh, upgrade the basics, so to speak, and increase compliance with that, I had massive improvements over and above anything I was doing technically wise or programming wise. I just I just got better results for it. So that reinforced that stuff to me early as well, especially on the injury prevention front too. The, the basics were trumping all the other stuff. Yeah, I mean that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you mentioned some of the you know, the sleep and nutrition basics, but if it's possible, Ian, could you outline a few of the the basics for training, like for you working with athletes and strength development or speed, whatever it is? Like, what are some of these base principles that apply to all of your athletes from a, either a training or a programming perspective? Well, that's a great <laughs> question because uh, it's not necessarily one thing. It's what I'm looking for is what do I see when I assess athletes and what do they look like and what is my process for assessing them? Um, but I, before I get into that, I will say this, that um, strength is really the key, is really the only biomotor ability that will affect every other biomotor ability. So yeah. in other words, strength will help your endurance, strength will help your speed, Strength will help your stability. All those different strength helps all those different types of things. So, by focusing on strength and doing strength as the primary base, you fix so many other things. And so many of the programs now have gone away from that. And so, for me, that's the first thing I go to. The other thing is um, obviously, you have strength and then there's speed. And during the season, uh, particularly in an NFL season, and, and for most sports, when you get into season, those are the two things that you cannot fix. The, the training is too high. There's not enough recovery. The risk of injury is way too hard. So in, especially in the NFL, from the day people start camp, they say all the way out to the Super Bowl, in terms of those biomotor abilities, they're pretty much getting worse. It's just a matter of whether yeah. they're doing it on a really shallow slope or they're falling right off. So during the off season, you have to be able to get those things to a higher level. So if you need to be at X to perform properly, you measure this and determine that, and you need to be at X at the Super Bowl. You can't possibly walk into training camp at X. You have to be at some surplus of X. Okay? And um, so we focus a lot on getting those things right because the other things that you need, they can and will be improved during the season, such as the sports-specific movement prep, such as the specific conditioning that's required for that. You're going to get better and better at that all the time, especially on the conditioning end of it. Conditioning is the easiest gained and the first lost. So start being in, being in really good condition in April uh, for an event that starts in September is silly because you put in all this effort and then you have to maintain that all the way until September. And that comes at the expense of being able to maximize your speed and strength development. So my approach has been strength, speed, optimize it, fix the fix the imbalances, get the soft tissue work done, get all that stuff done as major priorities. And as you get closer and closer, then you start building down, building in the, the conditioning and the, 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 real, the real position-specific movement stuff closer and closer to when the season's going to start. And um, – Quite frankly, I take a lot of flack from that from other strength coaches who take a different approach um, than that. But uh, I just feel like that's it, it works. It works every time. It's the best way to go. And 
guys get the best results with that that type of training. Yeah, that's yeah. that's absolutely awesome. That's interesting because Tommy, you recall that uh, you may have heard of uh, Broderick Chavez, you may not have, but he's uh, been in the game for a while. He's not a strengthening conditioning coach per se, but he, he he coaches a lot of track and field athletes and has done over the years. And uh, he would uh, echo similar sentiment where you know the strength and he'd put hypertrophy in there. That's the hardest, longest to. Uh, achieve the other stuff is quite easy to the movement patterns specific to the sport are quite easy to transition over at the end but developing that strength and, and size and muscle mass that's the, what actually takes longer so he would uh, pretty sure be on a similar mindset to you so you're not completely alone with your philosophies there yeah and i will say that um, we've actually had uh, preston green on and um he said something similar with the i think it was basketball teams mm. saying that uh, these days they the, the top uh, professionals seem to be going away from uh, strength and and doing more uh, just injury rehab prehab and, and yeah, just all these maintenance basically yeah and, yeah and and I think with the philosophy that the strength it will inhibit them and, and and doing this preventative type stuff would be would be more beneficial and I think he said there were just as many injuries or it didn't seem to alleviate any of that but what you're actually saying makes perfect sense to me the stronger yes. you are the more stable you're going to be etc 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 so. Yeah, fascinating. I think the other aspect of that that's not talked about much is you you go through the season that's really repetitive and it's really just a big overtraining thing, but you're repeating the same motor pattern over and over and over again, which is part of what leads to the overtraining. So when you come into the off season, I don't know what yeah. would possess you to think that repeating that same motor pattern again is going to be useful to you. I think you need to get away from that and do other things that get you strong, that carry over, and don't get back to those motor patterns until much closer to the season. It's Otherwise, all you're doing is dynamically stereotyping that stuff and making it very difficult to make improvements in it. Yes, and I gather with NFL as well, the, the sport has become so highly specialized that those motor patterns are just so narrow now. Everyone is just specifically there to be very good at a, at a small range of things. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why you see injuries like non-contact ACLs going through the roof, all those types of things, because they're not coming back to get that simple uh, structurally balanced strength that's required. And then there's, and once the season starts, there's no time to do it. So they just run out of time. You mentioned at the top there, Ian, that you have a program, but these things are assessed on a day-to-day -day basis to see where the athlete is at and what you're going to do with him. So is there a situation where you might write a, a program, a strength, a block of strength training? It could be a, an old Poliquin-style wave load or whatever. And so you have a, a framework for the mesocycle, but basically on a day-to-day -day basis you're in there tweaking what reps they're doing or what percentage they'll work on that day or how are you sort of addressing and changing things with these athletes yeah, reactively yeah so it's it's all of the above so what i coach the team here is in order for us to be successful we need to have great beginnings and great endings so when an athlete comes in you have to have a discussion with them how are you doing? How are you feeling? What's going on? How did you sleep? Get an evaluation of all those types of things. And then based on those answers, you have to determine, number one, what we have planned, does it seem like it's reasonable to continue with that plan or do we need a modification? And if we need a modification, how should we implement that modification? What does it need? 
a lot of the big changes come with us in warm-ups. I like to teach these guys that the warm-up is a time for you to evaluate what's going on. And if you feel like your left groin is kind of sore during the warm-up, you don't ignore that. You put in special things to deal with that right there and then as you get through the warm-up and get ready. Um, uh, we don't necessarily change exercises right away. Uh, it's more of a, can we deal with this from a soft tissue perspective, from a mobility perspective? What can we do to have the athlete feeling good and ready to go? And so what I try to communicate to, uh, to everyone that's working here is that we have to do three things really, really well. That's monitor, evaluate, and react. And those are three very, very distinct processes. So monitoring is really just like how well are we currently performing? Like what is going on? Like how are we keeping good track of things? Are we asking the right questions? Are we recording the right things that we need to record? And some people are bad at that. And honestly, I'm not that great at that. I, um, I need to be – I rely on my memory a lot because I tend to remember lots of things off the top of my head. I don't write anything down, which becomes a problem when I have to hand the athlete off to another coach because he doesn't know what's in my head. Mm-hmm. So for me, actually taking what's in my brain and putting it on a piece of paper for someone else to follow is a struggle. Um, but then you have to evaluate. like Based on how the athlete is currently performing – how well is he doing relative to goals, expectations, previous performance? Like how, how are all those things happening? And then you have to react. So you have to implement a strategy that alters the course or maintains the course depending on what's going on. And you always have to be thinking, okay, first I monitor, then I evaluate, then I react. And I try to walk people through that on an everyday basis. And that doesn't mean it's a big wholesale change it just means they're going to be small things that we can do to improve the quality of this workout and then at the end of the workout when they leave we want to make sure that we're giving them prescriptions for what they need to do and we're reminding them so they understand that okay you're coming back at three o'clock today for this treatment uh you have an epsom salt bath tonight we have like sauna and this schedule here just and kind of laying it out so they know what is going on and that we're in their ear and all that stuff is happening. And, um, and it's another big thing is just understanding what, what, what stress is going on in their lives and how that's affecting them and just knowing all those things. And the only way you can do that is to try to make every day a new assessment. I don't mean a big global assessment because nothing's going to change, but just yeah. the minute things in terms of how this could affect a session today. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, 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 absolutely. That, yeah, that was awesome. It's sort of, uh, underwriting principles but nothing's written in stone it's like well this is what you got to do with every athlete it sounds like it's uh, everyone there would be well versed at looking at those warning signs and then uh, prying a little deeper when they see something tell me uh ian like uh we spoke about getting all the basics right and and you know when you do get that right tommy pointed out everything falls into place they can fulfill their potential far easier uh, do you find that uh, when you do see they're a little off their game those basics haven't quite been hit like do, do you see a correlation with you know they had a poor night's sleep they come in and they're just not firing like do you see that reinforce what you've already said and that you got to get those basics right is it always sort of synonymous with with some of those basics being out of whack when they they come in and they're not in that where they should be for that session absolutely that that's absolutely right and i think uh in terms of personal responsibility that we have to take part of the basics is optimizing the work to rest ratio if we don't get that right 
and we're not constantly working to perfect that, then we're going to affect their ability to be able to go from session to session and do what they need to do. And I think a lot of times um, strength coaches tend to want to put the blame on the athlete instead of saying, hey, what is it that we're doing? How are we negatively contributing to this by not properly fixing this work-to-rest ratio, which I think is so crucial? And I'll tell you a telltale sign of this. I've seen this several times. You have a lot of coaches, and there'll be an athlete within the group. And that athlete is excelling, and he's excelling at a faster rate than all the other athletes in the group. But he's what they call lazy. He doesn't do all the work. He cuts out of stuff. He misses workouts. I'm like, okay. Well, then, they, then the response is usually, could you imagine how awesome this guy would be if he did our entire program? <laughs> but wait a minute. Maybe that guy is excelling over the other guys because your entire program yeah. has too much too shit much. in it. Yeah. And that's why he's excelling. And I, I hear coaches say that all the time. And I'd say eight times out of ten, they're wrong. It's because what's happening in their program. And that's why that guy that's skipping some of their stuff is excelling. Yeah. Yeah, that's really that's interesting. interesting. I mean, have you actually played with how little someone can do? That is an excellent question because I am in a little bit different mindset than a lot of the strength coaches I come across. And I guess what I want to make a key distinction. What I'm going to talk about now is about training, not about exercise. Exercise is a whole different deal. You're, you're training to work out, feel good, do whatever. That's all sort of health promoting. But training, especially for certain sports, involves pushing yourself to a level that isn't necessarily healthy, but you have to do that to achieve performance. So for me, in those situations, sometimes you have to view training the same way we would view a drug. It's unnecessarily evil. And what we want to find is the absolute minimal effective dose to get the job done. And when you're training at really high levels, that more often than not is the case. You have to figure out what that is and and dial it back and dial it back. And um, a lot of coaches don't like to have that mentality. You know, Um, you go all the way back to Charlie Francis and some of the things that he would talk about, which are really interesting. He would say, you know, sometimes you have a workout set out. uh, He was using Ben as an example and saying, we're going to run eight times, uh, eight, 30 or 40 meter starts today. And um, on the, you know, the fourth one, he hits an absolute lifetime PR. He just stops him. He says, done, the workout's over. And, yeah. you know, his response was, well, he, he just ran something faster than anybody else is ever going to, in the world could ever do. And it's his own personal PR. What do you think that effect that has that done to his nervous system and his ability to recover? But so many coaches in that situation would be like geeked up. We got this run a roll. Let's see what we can do on the fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth one when they're completely unnecessarily and they could lead to injury. Um, so it's – and then there are other times where you need to have the actual physical, mechanical breakdown of things to get an adaptation. And you have to know that that's okay to keep going. Mm, but yes. balancing that and figuring out how that works is a big part of being a good coach. That's the art. Yeah, the art of coaching. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. With these guys that you're working with, like you must see some absolute freaks. And if they're in there and they do something that is a that is a PR or, or something special done, Tom. that is the best that they've done, I mean, does that leave an imprint 
on their nervous system? Like, is it something that if they stop then and they walk out with the energy of that performance that they've done, that that will have a, a residual benefit, like a permanent benefit on their ability? Yes. So there's many different reasons why you'd want to, uh, to, to stop it. Uh, sometimes you're, uh, you've achieved something that you didn't think you were going to achieve and you've got there faster. So the organism is adapting quickly. And for me, I would rather err on the side of doing a little bit too less than a little bit too much because it's hard to come back from a little bit too much. A little bit too less, you can try to figure out and adapt to it the next time and bring it up. But once you go too much, it's very difficult. Um, so I implement things like that quite often. And the other thing I like to look at, especially with in-season training, is just the emotional impact of how things affect you with training. So a classic example that most people understand, if, if you play a game, it's like a hard knockout game. You're playing a ton of snaps. You're going overtime. You're just absolutely fried, okay? But you win that game. How you feel the next day, like physically, in your body, is totally different than if you lose that game. It's, yeah, it just, it's, it's, it's massive. Like I've experienced myself as an athlete. I've seen other guys do it. So just how those types of emotions and stress levels impact your recovery, you have to take all that into consideration when you're determining how much this athlete should do and when you should stop them. And sometimes guys can still make really good gains out of that situation, but it's because they're still running on adrenaline and cortisol out the roof, all those types of things. And that, that's not what you want to do. Uh, even though as a strength coach, seeing those numbers and getting all that stuff kind of gets you excited, you still have to know, you know, we're trying to optimize, not maximize. So do I need to pull back here? That's a, that's an awesome point. And, um, you know, the, the psychological implications, you know, as the coach, they, they, the athlete might feel like, well, let's chuck another couple of tens on. Let's, let, let's do it like a you 240 back squat. Come on, let, let's, let's bring it. But as the coach, you know, I guess you have to recognize that that was actually a, an improved performance and, you know, when to pull the reins back and know that's it, we're done out, even if, you know, emotionally they want to commit. And then the flip side would be, you go for the 240, they fail it, and then, like you said, it's like losing the game the next day. They're beat up, that moving pattern, then they're they're you know, potentially fearful of this additional weight. Whereas, if you had you know been that uh, more uh, coaching style that was different and, and knowing when to pull it back a little bit and be aware that a PR was set, you know, it's a completely different story. Mm. So I, I I love that the art of coaching. It's um, and I think a lot wouldn't do that. You know, less is more yeah. almost. Mm. I agree. And just a a slightly different take on your point you just made there too. What I will often do is when you recognize a situation is coming where uh, the athlete is not is subpar, he's going to fail. He's not going to make some of these marks that he's kind of has in his head and maybe that we projected for him to make. I will alter the workout to something that I know the athlete can win at or something that he can't really tell what the numbers are. So for instance, let's just to keep it simple, let's say it was a back squat and I could just tell from where he was going everything that's happening. We're not he's not gonna hit the numbers he thinks he's gonna hit for what we have planned today. Well, I'll put him on an exercise that he hasn't done in three months and put him on that and have him go through it and do a bunch of stuff so he has no frame of reference, no whatever. Yeah. It does work out, it feels good and he wins. I know what's going on. Subconsciously he probably knows what's going on. But at the end of the day, he walked out of the weight room 
feeling like he wanted something instead yeah. of feeling like he got crushed because um, we were able to see that in advance. That's, yeah. that's I, I love it. I could right. talk about this stuff all day, the, the psychology behind actually coaching with the, the athletes. And I mean, that makes perfect sense when you're in session with them and they're at the facility, everything's going good. Tell me, I'm, I'm sure Tommy is as well and our listeners would be intrigued. What, I mean, they're there at the center for however many days in a row. They obviously is what, 52 weeks in the year. Like what happens the rest of the time? Are they... Do you find that, that seeing you periodically is enough to keep them in check and, and or do they send videos? Do they have logs that they report? Like what data do you get from them to ensure uh, it's okay when they're with you and, or with one of your coaches at your facility, but what happens outside of that? How do you keep them on track and, uh, yeah. you know, everything going the way it should be going? It's a good question. So uh, I would say it's none of the above and all of the above. It depends on the athlete. So some athletes are fair or are in a position where they can do stuff and they're willing to do it and other athletes are not. So for instance, if you're an athlete and I'm a seven year veteran and I make ten million dollars a year, I can essentially do whatever I need to do and no one's gonna give me hassle about it. So they can go in there and they, and say, I'm not really doing what your team strength coach has set up for me today. I've got this program for me and this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, as long as they're good about it, they talk to the strength coach about it, they're usually pretty good at just letting them do that. And so then I get lots of control over what can happen. But the other end of the spectrum, you might have a guy who's a rookie, he doesn't stop that, he just kind of has to toe the line and do stuff. So we're just adding on some extra things to deal with whatever they have, have going. And this is not a slight on the strength coaches within the NFL. They have an impossible job because they're dealing with 60-plus guys, and there's two or three of them. So at the end of the day, as good as you are, you're not going to really be able to effectively handle that. Um, so for the guys who have the ability, we just, you know, we turn them loose on everything. And um, obviously we keep up with them. You know, we've sourced chefs in their cities, and we've done all kinds of different things for the guys who really want to do it and are capable of doing it. And I wish we could do that for everybody, but – the truth is, is we just we don't we can't we're just not in control of enough things so some guys struggle a bit more than others yeah, yeah. fascinating and uh, again to reference Preston Green I'm, I'm sure he does similar things he'll organize food for the team and and all those sorts of things to uh, just to make sure that the environment is is as conducive as possible to success Mm. Speaking about food, Tommy. Well, yeah, I mean, we could talk about the training side of things for another hour, but I, I really think we'll get benefit out of this um, approaching yes. some of the nutrition. Ian, uh, interestingly, from what I understand, you're quite a big fan of a, a lower carb or even a ketogenic diet with some of the guys that come into the center. Is that the case? And well, Tommy, and no, 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 no performance, no carbs. Carbohydrates fuel performance, Rodan. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, can you explain uh, if, if that is the case and why you like that methodology? So I am definitely a low carb guy. Uh, I'm a modified keto guy because I don't, I don't put any guys on true ketogenic diets that are uh, low in protein. Because yeah, uh, yeah. you know a true ketogenic diet is going to have super high fats and, yep. and what I would consider low protein. Um, so proteins are always high, no matter what the situation is. And then fats, carbohydrates are very low. So I'm I'm a strange bird in the sense that I'm a keto guy who's not afraid of a carb. So okay. I think the 
the correct and judicious use of carbs for the right person at the right time can be great. But I think most people that come to me have massive insulin sensitivities or insulin resistant issues to begin with. Uh, they're not in shape. They've had poor diets, all these things. And so they, they can benefit immediately in terms of inflammation, overall health, brain function, all these different types of things by going on a very low-carb diet. Um, in addition to that, I'm a, I, what I basically feel is the best way to be is to be metabolically flexible. Okay? You have to be able to use multiple macronutrients as a fuel source and, to, and preferably use them simultaneously to excel. But the problem is, is to become metabolically flexible, the limiting factor is how well you use fat. Using carbohydrates is not the problem. So the only way you're really going to become metabolically flexible is to fix the limiting piece, which is the fat metabolism. So if you allow yourself to become keto-adapted, and once you become fully keto-adapted, you can then carefully reintroduce carbs and get the best of both worlds where you become a dual-source fueled machine, which gives you the, the, the biggest bang for your buck. Um, now having said all that, there are certain areas where I would not um, significantly reduce carbs, and that is for guys who are already very lean and underweight. Yeah. And um, and, and that, that's pretty much the only category. If you're already lean and you're underweight, then you know we will, we will still include some carbs all the time. And the other category would be the guys who are truly mass freaks, you know, if you're like, if you're trying to go to the Mr. Olympia or something, at the end of the day, you know, you're basically going to grow by either nutrient storage mechanisms or just increasing the myofibril content in your muscles. And the impact of nutrient storage mechanisms is so much more than trying to be able to increase that true protein content that if, you, if, if what matters to you more is being a complete mass freak, then you're going to have to have carbs in some capacity at some point in time. But having said that, a lot of guys don't realize that um, by consuming these carbs, especially sloppy carbs for a long period of time, then becoming insulin resistant. Yeah. Insulin resistance goes hand in hand with anabolic resistance. If you're, if you're resistant to insulin, that means it can't do its job putting nutrients into the muscle as well, and that becomes particularly difficult. Uh, you see that a lot with insulin resistance. We see it a lot with aging and aging combined with insulin resistance. All of these things happen. Specific amino acids just get harder and harder to be driven into the cell when you're insulin resistant. So I just think it fixes so many things by getting guys off carbs, let their bodies adapt, and then if necessary, in very specific ways, we reintroduce the carbs. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I love it, and yeah. I'm assuming it'll be around the training windows and and, and things like that. You mentioned protein yep. high a couple of times. What do you have some protein numbers for our listeners that you obviously individual basis based on body weight? I'm assuming, but do you have some uh, rough uh, parameters that you could throw out there for us? Absolutely, uh, that depends significantly on what the overall uh, calories are. Obviously, if you're going to be calorie restricted. You're going to have to have protein high, way, way high, even higher than you normally would. But for a just a a, a balance, not a calorie restricted, just a maintenance of body weight type level, 
then you're looking at about two grams per pound is where we are with protein. Yep. So um, what we do is I generally don't uh, have guys count protein because A, they're not going to do it, and B, if they do, they're going to screw it up anyway. So what I tell them <laughs> is, you know, you have to get get all your fats from protein and fats mixed together. So don't drink your fats off a spoon unless you necessarily have to for certain things. If you're getting your fats from ribeyes and salmon, all those types of things, and just you're eating that, your protein is going to get to those numbers that it wants to be. You're going to run into trouble when you start trying to get uh, pure fat sources and not protein and fat mixed together. And generally, that works. There are specific cases where we have to dial guys in and say, no, you know, we're going to have to get this specific. You have to count this and do that. And when, when they're here and they have uh, a chef assigned to them, that's easy to do. But they're, they're all going to leave and go away at some point in time. So a big part of my job is educating them to understand how to do this stuff and how to make selections and how to order out and do all those types of things. And that's, that's some of the things that we try to teach them. And, and that usually solves most of the protein issues. And that comes back to that, getting the, the, the basics right. Absolutely. Ian, how long do you usually have with an athlete in the in the off season? That's a good question. That varies a ton. So it can be as little as eight weeks in an off season. Okay. And it can it can be as long as uh, four months. Uh, so the way it works is, and we're let me just back up. Now we're talking specifically about the NFL athlete. Yes. So um, there are technically only two days in any off-season that are 100% mandatory, that you have to attend. But there's so much pressure put on these guys to do all these other things that many of them will go back and do certain things at their facility at different times of year and and do that. But some guys basically say, I don't care. I'm, I, I'm set. I know what I need to do. Um, I'm too vested and too invested in me for them to do anything about it. I'm going to spend four months of the off-season out there and get ready. Yeah, so right, there's, right. It, there's a, a massive variability. Okay. And if so two to four months, how long does it, I know this is a case-by-case basis, but how long do you generally see that you need with an athlete to reach that level of metabolic flexibility that you're talking about? Like how long do they need to be on a, a low-carb diet or, or in that deficit to reach a, a level where you're, you're happy that they're utilizing fuels the way you want? And also are you monitoring blood work to, to sort of match that up? Uh, yes, we are doing blood work to match that up. Um, but I would say on, on average it takes six to eight weeks to have that happen. Yeah. Some guys take longer, but it's also a matter of degree. The longer you are that way, the higher level of keto adaptation, adaptation you will achieve. So there are some uh, – Jeff Folick uh, and Steve Finney have done some interesting studies looking at some of those things where people actually continue to become better keto adapted literally 18 months after they've been off carbs and they continue to get better and better and better at it. So um, I think it really is the, the longer you can do it, uh, the better. Um, but I would say you can notice a significant difference in six to eight weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Very now, cool. The big thing is after you become that weight, 
it's not a magic bullet. It's not like you do that, you reset, and now you can go back to eating 400 grams of carbs a day. Yeah. I expected that you're going to be this metabolically flexible machine. No, it, it's not like that. Now you're going to just, you know, carefully implement carbs at certain places uh, in a strategic way, as opposed to just going back to eating all the carbs again. Yeah. And uh, there might be a nice segue. Tell me, uh, Ian, uh, from our days of, uh, you know, Poliquin. You know, the fish oil, you mentioned, uh, I think you said nine grams yeah. or something for you, et cetera, et cetera, depending on who you're talking to, um, you know, that may play a role in the, you know, uh, insulin sensitivity, improving that. Supplementation, let's go down that a uh, little bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, Tommy uh, was explaining that, uh, you know, there's some IVs and stuff going on in the background there. Like, let's, let's unpack the uh, supplementation side of things and the role you feel that plays on, um, on the athletes uh, you're working with. Okay, great. So for me, I feel like whatever it is I'm doing, doesn't matter whether I'm training, making a supplement, whatever it is I'm doing, I'm always looking for that one thing that if I fix it or master it, it's going to change 10, 15, 20 other things. And so... That, from a supplemental perspective, before we even get into IVs and all that stuff, that's the intro workout window. Like you have to have the right stuff going in your body at the time when you're pumping a ton of blood to your muscles at, at levels where they don't ever get it any other time. You've got this, this, use the analogy of a plane that's already going somewhere. You don't want to send it empty. And so the biggest thing you can do is nail the intro workout window. And I focus so much on that, not only because of all the things I just mentioned, but also because that's one area where I have control. I can make sure the athletes are 100% compliant with that. So I stuff as many things into that window as I can. And for me, that starts with the right blend of all of the essential amino acids. And I think people have... uh, really relied on branch chain amino acids for that purpose just erroneously for way too long and um you know the the problem is is uh well there's some uh, energy benefit from the branch chain amino acids but it's it's primarily driven by leucine you know one of the three branch chain amino acids that is it's it's a metabolic signaling um you know there's so many amino acids that have crucial metabolic signaling and triggering properties that give them value that's far beyond simple building blocks of proteins. And leucine is definitely one of them because it triggers all the mechanisms that are involved in basically switching on the process of protein synthesis. And for me, that's key. Whether or not you're trying to gain weight, lose weight, whatever the case may be, that's still the number one most important thing is that if you can turn on protein synthesis and be always moving to an anabolic environment. So, going back to the whole thing so that has led um to sort of an over-reliance and a and a and a overstatement of the importance of leucine because it is such a phenomenal trigger for doing that the problem is leucine is no different than the trigger on a gun it might be the most important piece of the gun it starts everything off if you don't pull the trigger nothing happens but if you don't have all the ammo you're going to quickly run out and realize that having that trigger and pulling it all day doesn't do anything for you. So what you want to do is have a full complement of all the essential amino acids, but you also want to be able to have that to be slightly leucine-rich, so you're taking advantage of that signaling mechanism and giving it all the ammo and the fuel that it needs 
to happen. So for me, I just, I really, I, I pump those a lot in a mixture of other things within the intro workout window. And um, one of the things that I, I discovered, and actually I was just uh, sort of bringing that to Charles' attention uh, a year ago or so, but a little over that, is that, you know, he was asking, so why is it that when I take your amino acids, I don't get tired? So, and, and, and the big reason for that is leucine, for all the positive things it does, it can have a detrimental effect on your brain because it basically overloads or supersaturates the uh, large neutral amino acid transporter that takes those amino that takes five specific amino acids across the blood-brain barrier. The problem with that is when you oversaturate that with leucine, you decrease the ability of that large neutral amino acid transporter to take tyrosine across the blood-brain barrier, which is crucial for dopamine production. And so you you risk um, decreasing neural drive, uh, feeling tired, depressed, all those types of things by overloading all these BCAs and not having the full spectrum of amino acids. And so in addition to all these amino acids, I also add tyrosine, which is a non-essential amino acid, to outcompete the leucine at the blood-brain barrier because it doesn't change the effect of leucine peripherally, but it does help to outcompete it at the blood-brain barrier, so you kind of get the best of both worlds. And that's been like the basic staple of what happens there. And then from there, you just want to start adding in products that help you in other ways, whether that, that's by increasing your endurance, whether that's by shuttling fats, you know, um, whether that's by managing uh, urea and ammonia and all those types of things. You want to get all those things in there and get them to the tissues at the time that they're working the most. And then the other thing that's probably not always talked about is the – the actual anabolic stimulus from training itself, uh, especially from strength training, and all the mechanical tearing of the muscles is, is obviously happening while you train. But when you add the right amino acid mixture, which also gives you that stimulating anabolic effect of the, the, the protein since the signal turning on, that's not a one plus one equals two event. That's a one plus one equals four event because you get a synergistic effect of both those things happening at the same time. And uh, what I've found in just years and years of experimenting with different products and different dosages and stuff at the facility in a pretty controlled environment is it is the single biggest contributor to your body's ability to recover and make gains. It's like mastering that initial workout window and doing it well. Hmm. That's, that's really, really interesting. How many grams of, a, of essential amino acids would you use in workout or is that based off body weight? It is a little bit based off body weight. For a lot of the guys I deal with, we're using about 30 grams. Oof. Nice. Wow. I like it. More is better. And, 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 yeah. and any carbohydrates, any fast carbs or anything during the workout or case-by-case case basis? Case-by-case case basis. It depends on how keto-adapted they already are. So yeah. can they be dual metabolic machines? So we've done tests with some guys where – I can give them as high, it doesn't sound high to you, but as high as 30, 35 grams of carbs with those aminos in the workout. And we'll still get them at 0 0.7, 0.9, 1.0 in that range of, of millimoles of ketones on measured on a ketone meter, even though they have that many carbs in their system. Very, uh, very magic. Efficient. 
And of course, that's um, that's uh, part of uh, the Ian Daney uh, homebrew EAAs. You uh, you you make those at your facility, or you have them made. You have a compounding uh, nutraceuticals, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've got a couple of different products. That the main one is called Amino Matrix, and it has all of the things that we're talking about, plus all the extra uh, in, intra-workout nutrients to go with it. And um, I don't make that at the facility. You know, we have a contract manufacturing facility that makes my formula for me. And it's, uh, it's an informed sports certified product, too, which sort of helps with guys' confidence of what it, what, what's in it. Um, and that's... Uh, that's pretty much how we handle that. It's just a matter of how much of that you get. Right. And is that available for the general pop to uh, buy? It absolutely is. Yep. Okay. Uh, so. And, yep. and it, it, what was the what was the name of that one? Tommy scribbled it down. We might reference that later. But Amino it's Matrix. By Correct. a particular company or just Amino Matrix? Yeah. It'll pop up. So, Optimum Effects. If you go to OptimumEffects.com. You will, uh, you'll find it there along with uh, another product called Just Essentials, which is the exact same amino acid blend, but only the, the essential amino acids. It doesn't have all the other intra-workout products with it. And right. that's a product that I use outside of that intra-workout window when I want to be able to stimulate protein synthesis. It might be with a meal. It might be before bed for all these different reasons that you need amino acids. And it's interesting because – there are a couple of classic studies, one of which what they did is they they fed 30 grams of protein from steak to a group of people, and they, they measured metabolic signaling factors to see what was happening and how much it was triggering this uh, the mechanisms that turn on protein synthesis. And then what they did is they came back and they fed those people 16 grams of essential amino acids, which is how the percentage of that 30 grams of protein from the steak, was EAAs. And they did all those measurements again. And what they found was it was identical in terms of the, the level of stimulation of protein synthesis. So that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And um, that's great in terms of convenience. It's great in terms of people who can't eat that much or on the run, all those types of things. It's, it's a fantastic way to be able to just switch that on and continue that going on when you're at a time when you're not working out. And of course, I don't need to take eight grams of citrulline malate when, you know, when I'm not working out. Yes, so, um, yes, yes. It, it kind of eliminates all those other parts of it and just gives you the, the just essentials. Absolutely awesome. And uh, just make a note, Tom, Ian said 30 grams. I'm going to do 60. So yeah, that's that right. More is better. And we should make yeah. we, we should uh, point out, Ian, that you have a background in biochemistry as well. Yeah, I studied uh, biological sciences, so biochemistry, uh, you know, chemistry, molecular biology type stuff. But um, mm. I'm not really sure how much that I actually really use at this point in time. Um, but it was, it, it was a good background to be able to sort of understand some research and things like that. Yeah. Well, that's the same as Tom and I. We've got degrees and all sorts of things. I think we'll, we'll throw biochemist uh, degree so. on there as well. We, yeah. we certainly uh, use EAAs. I think that's enough. There we go. Mark there you go. Yeah. Qualified, man. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, just before we uh, wrap up supplements, what about from a – that's sort of delved into the recovery side of things there nicely with that EAA. But then what about performance? Uh, do you like the caffeine like Charles uh, used to, you know, 600 megs of caffeine pre, uh, pre-training mm-hmm. or something like that? Do you, do you have a few go-tos from a performance perspective that you like to use? 
I am not a caffeine guy, and 600 milligrams of caffeine to me is uh, outrageous. Uh, I've never used that. I think it has diminishing returns. Uh, I get why some people want to use it. But what I like to do is um, I limit caffeine to a max of 150 milligrams at any one time. But what I do is I use a lot of other products with caffeine that are stimulatory in other ways and support the caffeine. So if you introduce, uh, if you take things like high dosages of acetyl-L-carnitine, tyrosine, big doses of alpha-GPC, you throw in huperzine, vinpocetine, you have all these types of things that go in there. So you're working on multiple mechanisms. We're, we're increasing dopamine. We're increasing acetylcholine. We are blocking adenosine in the brain. You know, All these types of things are happening at the same time that you introduce a little bit of caffeine. You're going to feel like you took away more caffeine than you did, but you're not going to be jittery. You're going to be focused. You're going to be switched on. All these things are going to happen. And um, especially in a sports setting, what I find is too much caffeine is bad for decision makers. Yeah. If you if you just have to run into a brick wall all day long, yeah, you can get away with quite a bit of caffeine. But a person who has to make a lot of decisions under pressure uh, will not do well with more than about 150 to 200 milligrams of caffeine in their system. Um, so that was also an interesting thing for me to kind of understand and move along. And uh, I think the, the mental focus is um, – is as important, if not more important, than the pure stimulant effect of caffeine. Um, So when I look at caffeine, I look at it as an extremely useful product if it's used the right way. Um, But too much caffeine is going to do – number one, you're going to adjust to caffeine very quickly. So the ironic part about caffeine is it helps the people who, in my opinion – need it the least because if you don't take caffeine regularly if you're getting really good sleep and your cortisol is under control your adrenal glands are working well and then you throw caffeine into that system you get a way better effect than the guys who are burnt out overstressed not sleeping and then throw 400 milligrams of caffeine into the system the shit doesn't work as well as it 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 would have worked if they had all those other things done anyway yes so it's crazy. At the end of the day, it's the people and the guys who are doing all those things need it the least, but yet get the best effect from it. So, um, I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that <laughs> I think caffeine is good, but it's there's better ways to use it. I would agree with that. Certainly, from a sports performance perspective, like too much caffeine and the the fine motor skills can go out the door. You write about the decision making and. If you get a bit nervous, it just peaks the anxiety and takes you out of the zone a little bit. So that makes a lot of sense. Rawdon, what? anything else to – I mean, there is a lot we could Look, keep we, going with, but it's, yeah. uh, we're, we're sort of coming to an end. So one final thing to tackle in, now that it's the season is about to, to start for these NFL guys and you're just trying to do your best to – maintain or even slow the the diminishing nature of the qualities that you've built in surplus over the off season that's you traveling around the country going to different states to see the people on the books and soft tissue therapy and all that kind of stuff yeah that's absolutely right and uh to answer your your question a bit more directly yeah uh most of that work has already been done so 
if you haven't created a surplus, you haven't done the work and that hasn't happened, now you're just putting Band-Aids on stuff all the time. Yeah. <laughs> There's not much you can do about that. And uh, unfortunately, some guys are in that situation. Um, but for the most part, now we're just making sure that we're, we're integrating stuff. We're making sure guys aren't doing too much, that we're, uh, we're continuing to implement the tools that they had here there, which means – uh, keeping them on points with diets, keeping them on points with their supplements, um, training, mobility work, all those types of things. Um, it's just a, it's a war of attrition that we're just trying to get them to uh, survive the uh, the onslaught that happens every Sunday. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Um, for our, uh, we'll start wrapping things up. For our uh, listeners that are. Uh, interested in finding more about you and uh i'm certainly intrigued to to learn more about how you do things it sounds absolutely fascinating and um i'm assuming those that are actually balls deep in the strength and conditioning side of things would even be find it more fascinating do you have internships uh do you run courses out of the the dating center like what's coming up Uh, dangle some carrots for our listeners and uh let us know if there's any uh, anything coming up Yes, uh, I do internships quite regularly. Uh, it's just I don't have a planned slot of interns. It just uh, we have certain times where people reach out and we think, okay, these are guys who I think we can really help and influence, and, and they're willing to make the commitment. So we just start a personal internship with them. So that you can always reach out to us, and we always entertain that idea. Um, uh, where I'm in discussions now with. Uh, the Strength Sensei group where I may hold a football-specific training seminar for a lot of their people who are interested. So that's uh, – we should be getting those things um, more finalized and p- potentially in January doing something like that. So it will probably be a three-day seminar focused on uh, speed and strength and, and, and football training. So that's there awesome. too. Then, of course, supplements. You know, uh, A lot of the stuff that I've created, I've – I've, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, commercialized now, and you can get a lot of those at uh, OptimumFX.com, and, and uh, there's also lots of good information there, uh, probably expanding or on on some of the stuff that I've done here. And yeah, we're uh, I, I occasionally will travel and and present at different places. Uh, my travel schedule is, is pretty darn busy, so I, I uh, when the season ends, I typically don't like to do more traveling, but. Uh, we sometimes do that so if you just uh, stay tuned to the website and stuff you'll see when those things pop up that's the website and that's uh, P-E-P P-E-P-A-Z.com we'll get you to all the training stuff and OptimumEFX.com will get you to all the supplement stuff Awesome, wonderful, wonderful. and uh, and how's Zach? Uh, Zach Strevers, uh, like we mentioned off air before you came on, friend of mine. Uh, he's uh, one of the performance uh, enhancement professionals there. Yeah, he's coming. He's uh, he's moving out here now, and uh, basically that was a kind of a, an interesting connection. So he was out with um, Charles, obviously. And he was going to essentially run run that center for Charles, really, and then obviously with Charles passing, that changed a lot of things. And so, uh, you know, we reconnected and over the last few months, I've, I've uh, had him out here doing some stuff and kind of getting yeah. him sort of indoctrinated into this system and stuff. And it's, it's been going well. So, yeah, he's going to be out here doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, awesome guy. Strong cool. mofo too. He, uh, he can, yeah, he, yeah he's, he's, he's really good. A lot of time for Zach. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. All right, Tommy, all right, that's, uh, we're wrapping that one up. 
done and dusted, Ian. That was uh, really enjoyable yeah. for Rodden and I. I'm sure the listener will get a lot out of that as well, and and uh, a lot left in the tank that we haven't tapped into there, Rodden. So we might have to uh, get him back, get him some back stage. at some other point, probably the same time next year when he's actually got space to breathe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, Sounds good. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so Bye, much. Have Ian. a good night, Ian. See Thanks. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Ian, Danny, how good mm. was that one, mate? So thirty grams of uh, intra-workout essential uh, amino acids, Jordan. That's hefty. Yeah, that is hefty. Hefty. That's Some big abs- numbers. Absolutely hefty. He's uh, creating hyper amino acid amino acidemia there, definitely. Well, just having a look at that um, product that he was talking about. Did you get the, the Optimum EFX uh, page opened up there? What are you looking at? I'm looking at the amino matrix, matrix. that he spoke about. Uh, we've got the leucine, the lysine, the isoleucine, alveoline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, now, where's the where's got the citrulline? Right, got some the citrulline dilators down there. Yeah, the citrulline malate, uh, the L-tyrosine. Interesting, interesting. The old tyrosine and carnitine, I think the carnitine, uh, carnitine, the mitoc- there's something going on there as well. Yeah, with fatty acid metabolization, yeah, potentially sort of L-tyrosine for the brain function yeah. and the dopamine drive, there. the dopamine drive. Yep, yep, yep. yep, very interesting. I'd like to give this product a go. So optimum effects, EFX mm. for uh, Ian but Danny's... Uh, we won't pay for it. Let's see if we can just uh, get yeah. some free stuff from him. We don't like it. We don't pay for, we any don't pay the, for anything on the program. On the podcast. We don't, oh, need, we don't even pay Cam's invoices. No. Well, we pay him, but we pay him a year late. <laughs> Next year's invoice, you better get it ready, Cam. Yeah, uh, that so, was that was awesome. Yeah, really. I think we might have to get him back, Tommy. Uh, well, there's so many there's so yeah. many rabbit holes we could go down in detail. Yeah. I'd love to get him back. Yeah. But it's, as I said at the end, there it's probably gonna have to be this time next year because he's With so his busy. schedule. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. When we pay Cam's invoice, we might get him back on next time. All right. Well, that has been. Another episode of Under the Cracker. Bar podcast. We're mm-hmm. firing up the, uh, the thrusters, Millennium Noggin, to blast out of here, Rodden. If someone would like to, you're the Oracle of Coaching. If someone <laughs> wants to work with you, Rodden, where, where do they find you? Uh, the Dubois Method on Insta or Facey. The Dubois Method at gmail.com. gmail.com. And for myself, tomhewitt.com.au. Have a lovely day and thank you for listening. We're out of here. Lift off.